Welcome to Dev Policy Talks, coming to you from the Development Policy Centre at the Australian National University. In this episode, you will hear a recent event outlining the findings of research on men's perspectives on addressing family and sexual violence in lay. In this podcast recorded in November 2019, Joshua Gurr, a tutor at the University of Papua New Guinea Social Work Strand, and Dunstan Lawahan, a lecturer in social work at the University of Papua New Guinea, present the findings of their research, including the key differences between men's and women's perspectives of family and sexual violence, the role of men in addressing family and sexual violence, the services they accessed, and family and school responses and their effects on school children. This research is the second strand of a project led by Michelle Rooney, a research fellow at the Development Policy Centre. The event is introduced by research project members Miranda Forsyth, Associate Professor at the School of Regulation and Global Governance at the Australian National University, and Dr. Dora Kua Uez, Lecturer in Social Work at the University of Papua New Guinea. Okay, so we're going to get started. Uh, I'm Miranda Forsyth um, from the School of Regulation and Global Governance. And um, just I'd like to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians on whose traditional lands we meet and pay my respects to the Ngunnawal people and their elders past, present and emerging. Um, So I'm part, I'm very honoured to be part of this research team that's led by Michelle Rooney. Um, So we started off, first of all, looking at women and their experiences of addressing family sexual violence in lay. And on that part of the research, it was um, Michelle and Dora and Mary, and then all of the um, the participants that we spoke with said, you've really got to start talking with the men as well. And so then we organised this second part of the research and were lucky to have um, Josh and Dunstan who came and who, who really took the lead together with, um, with Dora, who's been the link between those two parts of the fieldwork. So I just wanted to really um, introduce very quickly the research to say that, you know, since... Um, There's been a lot of action in terms of state responses to family sexual violence in Papua New Guinea. In 2013, there was the Family Protection Act that was enacted. Uh, There's been the FSVAC uh, set up. There's been Family PNG in Ley that's done a lot of work and have recently moved to to Port Moresby as well, operating as a, a casework service. So we really wanted to go into the communities and to see how are people, how are women, um, their husbands, uh, their partners, their families navigating these state systems and what impacts are they having as well on their, um, their non, non-state uh, networks and pathways to addressing family sexual violence. So that's, um, that's really going to be what this presentation is going to be about. It's some of the preliminary findings. We're very much at a stage of, of doing the analysis and writing up. So any uh, feedback that you've got will be very, very welcome. Um, and we will, of course, circulate those, um, those written products with you when they are um, finally out. So I'm going to, uh, first of all, turn over to Dr. Dora Queer Ayus who is a uh, lecturer at the University of Papua New Guinea, just to give you a little bit of a, an overview. Uh, thank you, Miranda, for the introduction. And uh, I'd like to acknowledge all of you. Thank you for coming. Uh, this project, 
SEO Hour is sponsored by Itanda ANU UPNG Partnership. So I'd like to thank Professor House, Michelle and um, Miranda for taking us on board to be part of this great team. Okay, uh, as Miranda have already said, this is a link up from the one we did on women. From that, uh, we have had four blog articles with one book chapter already published, and we're now working on a journal article and one discussion paper. So since Miranda has already mentioned, we did it on women. When we went out to talk to them, they, some men also attended because we went to the communities and asked why they were not included. And there were issues arising that we felt we needed to address men as well. And we must hear their view on what they think about family and sexual violence and the approaches they were using to address this uh, challenge. So that is why Joshua and Dunstan, we're from UPNG Social Work. And um, we... I was involved first initially as a social worker in case we had anything that came up during the interview and that's when we engaged a family PNG. So that went well. And um, I won't go in detail. I'll just let this young man talk about what we collected from our last research. Actually, we've made, this is the eighth presentation. From the women, we made four presentations. And um, on men's perspective, this is the fourth one, and maybe the last, we're not sure. <laughs> Unless we're invited again somewhere else to go and present. So we couldn't go and interview men. Being women, we felt, no, we have to engage men, and that's when these two young men came on board. So without further delay, I'll leave it unto their hands to present to you what they found. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, the other parts were already talked about already, so I'll just move straight into the research methodology part. Uh, this study is an exploratory study in which uh, it drives to get views specifically from the male perspective on issues surrounding uh, violence against women and gender-based violence, family violence. Uh, we, look, we looked at uh, four focus groups, comprising of about 15 to 25 pair groups. And also we did uh, in-depth semi-structured interviews with 15 key informants and seven uh, service providers. And it is done within the space of five days. So given the five days that we actually went down to lay, we're able to get at least a fair amount of uh, uh, sample in terms of the research that we did. The main reasons and factors for family sexual violence from male perspective. As we already know, uh, violence, especially gender-based violence is endemic in, in Papua New Guinea and Leh is no exception. Uh, one of the perspectives that uh, male uh, 
gave in the study was that physical, sexual, and uh, intimate needs of men are not being met, um, and th that has actually led to uh, the tension within uh, the married couples, which lead to violence from men on women, saying that their sexual needs are not being met. Also, women also who are not being uh, physically or sexually um, being satisfied by their husband also tend to seek other relationships outside of marriage. And because of that, their male counterparts tend to be more violent on those women. Uh, also, lack of understanding and trust between married couples. Uh, the first one is to do with arranged marriage at an early age, where men highlighted the fact that because of marrying at a very early age, because of this arranged marriage system in Papua New Guinea, uh, most of them are very mature in terms of that marriage life, and that has led to a lot of uh, problems within their households. The next one is to do with lateness, and it's to do with the arrival. Uh, male uh, uh, made this important point that uh, women who, who arrive later than them at the house. So by four o'clock, men expect women to arrive before they arrive. Uh, lack of family time, and that was attributed to the fact that most women in, in lay uh, made an important uh, point to their husbands that uh, they require more family meeting, more family time. And if that is not shown, women, they tend to nag on their husband, saying, why are we not having regular family meetings? Uh, it shows that you are not showing interest in this family. You're not having enough time. You're not talking about issues of food, money, uh, uh, schools, need of, uh, 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 the need of their children's education and stuff like that. And those are important factors that... Uh, led to arguments within the family. Uh, age difference, men attributed to the fact that uh, marrying younger women, uh, and those younger women tend to uh, not understand their husbands well. Abuse of technology is to do with mobile phones, and men were saying that if their wife using a phone at like one o'clock in the night or 12 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's using, you know, phone at a very odd hour and it brings suspicion. And it tend, uh, it tend to, you know, ask a lot of questions on the wife. Why are you using mobile phone at this hour? And that leads to a lot of argument and quarreling among the wife and the husband. And that leads to also to violence. Lack of respect. Uh, most men in Papua New Guinea uh, tend to uh, want their wives to show respect to them. Uh, and being from uh, patrilineal society, men expect uh, women to show respect to them, not only them, but uh, also that signifies the important uh, men or the importance of being men in the society. Uh, and if women show respect to them, uh, their families also will tell them that, oh, you are, you are respected in our family because your wife is showing respect to you. And if that is not being done, then it will lead to problems. The next one is gender cultural expectation of uh, men and women. Uh, tension usually arises when different gender roles are not being met. Uh, from 
the various men that we actually interviewed, uh, most of them were complaining about uh, you know, women cooking food. Uh, men strongly emphasized that it was the duties of uh, their wives to actually prepare meals or wash the clothes or looking after the kids. And if those uh, gendered roles are not being met by their uh, wives, then uh, the men start to get mad on his wife and then it can lead to a lot of problems, including violence. Jealousy associated with unfulfilled arranged marriage, that's an interesting one that we picked up. Uh, it's usually associated with uh, wives still having jealousy over the husband's uh, arranged wife at their own um, villages. Even the husband didn't marry this arranged wife, the wife which she actually married now will always have their jealousy over uh, the orange wife, traditional orange wife. And that, that leads to a lot of problems. And one of the elderly men that we, which he talked about was that even though he was around 60 years of age, his wife still have this jealousy over his orange wife. Different education level. Uh, men highlighted the important point that women with very little education or no formal education at all, tend to misunderstand their husband's uh, role, whether they're going to work or doing other activities. And because of this limited education, it is having a little understanding between them and it's causing a lot of problems in families. Uh, delay in bread pies, it's one of the things that usually happen in Papua New Guinea and a study by Gibbs also in 2016 also talked about uh, women's responses on the delay of husbands paying bride price payment can, can challenge a, a man's um, a masculinity and manhood in Papua New Guinea society. And a man talked about a wife nagging about, oh, you haven't paid my bride price yet. You are not man enough to pay my bride price. And this can lead to a lot of uh, problems within families. Failure of performing household duties. I think I talked about that already. Lack of ongoing family meetings and talks. I think I talked about that already. Uh, men's denial of wrongdoing. Uh, this happens when men uh, does something wrong, for example, using uh, the family's money on, on drinking alcohol or gambling, and the wife actually uh, nags on the husband, telling him that, you know, you've done this and this is wrong. You waste a lot of money uh, that's supposed to be used on on food, and most of those uh, participants come from settlements. And the little money that they have is so important in terms of using for you know, basic food and, 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 and bus fare for their kids going to school. And if those money are being misused, then you know, the family is really struggling. So when their wives start to get on them, on this wrongdoing, men use violence as a way of, you know, trying to you know, deny his wrongdoing. And the next one is consumption of uh, alcohol and drug was also picked up in the study where men indicated that uh, under the influence of drug and alcohol, uh, they actually uh, commit violence on their wives. And the other issues which I've already discussed will, will pop up in this 
uh, abuse of drug and alcohol because dr uh, uh, drug and alcohol will become the trigger in terms of you know bringing up other issues if the wife didn't perform gender roles or expectation or you know uh, the wife always neck about other issues uh, drug and alcohol will actually become the trigger again for committing violence unemployment uh, when there is no food and money in the house, uh, there is tension in the house. And from the, the study that we did in Lay, most of the men talked about you know, money was quite scarce because most of them come from settlements. And most of those men that we interviewed are unemployed or are in you know, non-formal employment opportunities such as selling of other little items and stuff like that. The little money they get is so important for the basic survival. And most of the wife complain uh, if there is no food and money. And, and in, in, in Papua New Guinea society, you know, uh, men is usually seen as the head of the family. And if they can't provide and being unemployed, it brings this you know, tension and conflict and argument within the family. High cost of living. Uh, in Papua New Guinea society, a lot of people live in and also, a lot of people, extended family relations as well as the nuclear family, they live in a, a common household and it's, it's quite expensive. And if money is being misused on gambling or if you borrow money and if you can't repay it or something like that, you know, you, you, you affect your sustainability, your financial sustainability in the family. And that creates problem within the household. The wife will get mad on the husband. The husband, they tend to retaliate denial of the you know, wrongdoing and stuff like that, all the other issues that we talked about. So you can see all those issues are quite interrelated. And we also picked up uh, one of the findings that, you know, uh, participants was telling us that, you know, some of their daughters were getting support from older men, which they refer in the study as sugar daddy, because of these, you know, financial struggles within the homes. Gambling is a big uh, common problem in the settlements in Leh. And most of the men uh, highlighted that more women were doing gambling than men. And it usually affects their budget. And the little money that they get, for example, uh, some families in Leh, they survive on Tukina. Tukina. And Tukina for buying cow cow or potato on one day for survival. And if that money has been misused on gambling, which costs about you know, 50 toya in PNG in lay for gambling, uh, then all this money is being wasted on, on gambling and the family goes hungry at the day. And this creates tension within families. And this leads to the husband getting mad on the wife and then it leads to more problems. Not being generous or kind towards his family and friends. Uh, men view his family and friends as an important part of his social circle, and they should be respected. And when the wife doesn't show respect to his friends and family, uh, it tends to undermine the, the man from his friends and his family. And men in Papua New Guinea, especially in Lay, have this view that their status are so important. Their family and friends need to see them as, you know, uh, they are up there and they are respected by their wives. And, if, and when 
that respect is not being given to them, it, it automatically puts them at a lower level. So that also tends to create uh, tension and conflict within the family. Extramarital affairs, uh, two things popped up for men having um, promiscuous activities such as you know, uh, sleeping with other, other women or actually having extra uh, wives, polygamous. And that creates a problem with the wife and the husband. <coughs> and with the little money that they have, it's now being stressed, uh, stressed out to you know, the extra you know, wife out there somewhere. And they can't sustain their family. It's creating tension. And the last one has to do with uh, the popcorn effect that we, we put down here. Uh, most of the men in Lay uh, use the slang. In Papua New Guinea, when people talk too much, they usually refer to it, to it as popcorn. And men were, were saying that because of their wife were nagging too much or talking too much, was one of the main reasons that they actually beat their wives for talking too much. And I'll leave the next part to Dustin to talk more. Thank you, Jos. Um, let me put the study in, in, in context. This study happens in a, an urban settlement. However, there are glimpses of some village ideas and beliefs that are brought into the settlements, like the arranged marriage. It shouldn't be happening in towns and cities, but people bring it from the village. So um, I'll go straight into their strategies. So these are some of the strategies that men use to bring about harmonious families and homes. Firstly, the men accept some of the responsibilities of um, <coughs> problems happening at homes and they acknowledge that um, the following for womanizing, taking part in gambling, um, wasting money on other things apart from family needs. Some men are just being aggressive as they are. All right? So that's part of them. That's the nature. Anything, they become very angry. All right? And especially when things are not what they expect to, to hear from their own family members. Right? So they become very frustrated. Um, some men are very denial, right, from the study. They were open to say that and admit it, right? Men deny that they cause problems that enrage women. So if women or wives or spouses are forcing them to admit, right, they continue to deny. And then, for instance, if they deny that for five years, continuous five years. So women lose trust on, on the men, right? So you're saying that you're apologizing for too long. Can you say something different, <laughs> all right? Uh, 
one of the best strategy that we found out from the study is for the men to just walk away. But walking away is not an easy thing for Papua New Guinean men. <laughs> but they just have to swallow their pride and their masculinity and just walk away. Even though the women continuously, you know, nagging them. So para para like a popcorn. Alright? Or they can utilize community leaders, alright, like pastors, priests, counselors village court magistrates or respected men in the community who the family is very close to and sometimes they call them papsi. Right? That's from the study. That's the language from the study. Papsi is like papa or father. I just mentioned family meetings. I think family meetings in this context is not about the bigger family meeting. It's family meetings in the house. All right? That family meeting before it goes out to the open family, extended families, all right? That has to happen in the house to make sure that father, mother, children are intake before it goes out to the extended family meetings. Seeking professional services from family support centers, um, is, is one strategy. However, men are very reluctant to, to go there. But that's the, that's the place that women, that's the women's favorite place. Restorative justice is taking back the problem, family problem, and solving it at home or within the family, extended family using customary means. Available families um, and sexual violence uh, services, I think the, the most dominant or common one is the church, services provided by the churches, where the government services are limited or there's none, there's always a church. And that was very clearly um, shown in, in lay, but it's, it's common across PNG, even in villages. Where there is a village, there is, there is a church. And so church play a very important role in, in helping to address family and sexual violence in communities. Um, for example, Lutheran Social Consent Office in lay. Um, social care and empowerment, which is also highlighted by study from um, Family Health International, uh, 2019, okay, recently. Uh, village court, village court is the is the is the face of the government in in villages in Papua New Guinea, where you you can't find anything else. Village court is there in villages. Um, police, and uh, they highlighted um, uh, the role of the police in addressing family and sexual violence through apprehending, arresting, executing IPOs, interim protection orders, 
and of course mediate families uh, family issues family and sexual violence uh, units um i think uh, this unit is now increasingly um expanded to 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 police stations so this is something that's that's really happening in the country and it's a good sign in addressing and combating family and sexual violence and of course um sector response unit is um an initiative by former lay metropolitan chief superintendent uh, wagambi junior who is now assistant police commissioner uh based in mosby so he's recently transferred to be based in mosby but that was his initiative and um this unit actually responds to crime that happens in lay but it has now also gone into addressing family family issues as well if it gets out of hand people report it to the um sru and then toll free numbers and the police will just go into assist hospitals okay hospitals is one of the common place where um victims of family and sexual violence go to especially the emergency department all right and family support centers one of the things about emergency departments you know is it's an emergency um However, when you go into, uh, for instance, the lay um, hospital, the emergency sign or is 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 not right there in front of you to indicate where the emergency ward is. So you you have to go inside, ask people, and then find where where, where that ward is. And just imagine if you are bringing someone who is about to die, right? Whilst you are taking time looking for the ward. <coughs> that person is gone so it would be nice to have some signs indicating where you can go straight to emergency then later you can come and report to the front desk maristops um offers peer education they they are there in fact when we were interviewing the maristops sign was just right across the other side of the road but when we asked the participants there they said they have no idea what this organization is doing so it gives an impression that services are there it's about the professionals working there to go out there and market the services and let the people know that we exist to to do this so if you are facing problems um in communities please come and see us and see if we can offer you support so that's one of the things that we we really need to work on <clears throat> is to make ourselves not uh visible by signs only but visible in person and in what we do family pnz yes um there are um we we actually interviewed three three of the staff so um they have been very helpful in in this in this study and they are doing a an amazing job from from what we get it government policy right um 
Men acknowledge in this study that, the, yes, the government policy actually empowers women, which is a good thing, right? But the blanket effect actually gives us questions that need to be explored, okay? And for us to really understand what government policy can actually empower women, but at the same time, not discriminate any anyone um, in the family context, right? So uh, in the study, we found that the, the men feel being put aside by government policies that focus on gender, all right? And, um, and so um, that's, that's something that we, we really need, or the government has to come very clear to what extent the policies will empower women and to what extent as well will men support this? And how is this policy also helping men to, to, to understand and to relate to, to women in, in PNG and how they can work effectively and particularly in families, All right? Out in, a, in the professional world, that's fine, but bring it into the home and it becomes a very, very complicated thing. So it's, it's like a good thing, but a, a bad thing at the same time. <laughs> Men's roles in addressing family and sexual violence and its effects on school children, all right? The first bullet point was a good one, all right? Parent, parents avoid arguing when kids are around, whether that's true or not, but that's what they say, <laughs> all right? Uh, parents explaining the reasons for arguments or fights to children in very clear and simple terms. If I have an argument with my wife, I've got to explain to my kids what's the reason for me and my or their, their mother talking in that manner. <laughs> All right? In saying that I have three beautiful children, and so I've got to be very careful. <laughs> Fathers lead in family meetings and making peace with the whole family. So they, they, they are the perpetrators, that, but the first thing they do, they, they have to do something about it. Because the moment it goes out of the house, it's going to be challenging their manhood. Father visits children at school, encourages attendance. So there was one, one participant that actually said a very good story. He never visited his daughter at school until one day he, he decided to visit the, the daughter. And he could see the smile and the, the face of the daughter that just lit up. And that just taught him something else that I should visit my daughter all the time. All right? So um, visiting or fathers paying visits to children at school is something that encourages um, children to do well at school. Intervention by other family members, okay, families who care for children in the foster care system often experiences challenges. Okay, um, this, is, this is something that I will 
go, take you back to my first initial statement about study happening in a in an urban context. We couldn't have, or we shouldn't, we will not have this if this study was done in the village context, right? Because in the village, the system of taking care of kids, uh, whether the parents have died or someone had just gone, the village will they will they will take care of them anyway, because they are close and closely knitted, and they know each other, so they care of each other. But in in the city, that's where we have this um, foster care system. The foster care system is something. Um, I think that's foreign to Papua New Guinea, but it's something that we need to do in a contemporary Papua New Guinea context. So uh, that that continues to challenge challenge us as Papua New Guineans, and especially in in the interview where um, a priest um, is taking care of Papua New Guinea young children and men in a Catholic or church setting, right? So that that has to be looked at and how Papua New Guinea can really accept that and become and support it. Because now that the priest is actually struggling to feed these this, this young, young children. Church community programs like the BCC, Basic Christian community. Yeah, basic Christian community. Right? Paying school fees and meeting the educational needs. Okay, this is um, part of the children's uh, needs. Parents to be role models to kids by setting a good example in the family. This is what the study says, but we are from Papua New Guinea. Our observations challenge this, this perspective as well, but it's not um, a forum to analyze that. Uh, parents carrying out their roles um, responsibly and encouraging uh, children to focus on the education. Take children out for shopping. Conduct awareness in communities on good parenting. Okay, I think that is something that we really, really need to look at. If we are going to be serious and if we are going to see some positive results in communities, is to conduct awareness in communities on good parenting. In one of the interviews, one of these community leaders who said, there have been projects and initiatives that women went out to attend, those workshops and trainings, but when they return to the house, nothing changes because the man in the house hasn't changed. Unless the man changes, those workshops and trainings will become effective and meaningful in families in Papua New Guinea. Proper and responsible discipline of children.
proper and responsible discipline of children. All right, in summary of the, the whole study, right? Men admit there is clear evidence of family and sexual violence that exists in PNG families. Men take the lead, right? In addressing family and sexual violence in their own homes. Okay, the common theme is men speak about their role to control, right? and to maintain harmony, peace, and order in the family before it goes out of the house. Because when it goes out of the house, in the perspective, it becomes very complicated for them. And sometimes they, don't, they are not willing to, to, to go and face the law. If they are going to family and sexual violence or going to um, family support centers, Family and, um, family and extended relatives also play a part in addressing family and sexual violence. And in this um, point, there is a, a theme that we were floating around called uh, non-violent dominance. Non-violent dominance by men, right? They will create problems in the house and then they disappear silently. And then they will feel guilty, you know, because they have created a problem in the house. So they've got to find something to, to cool, to make peace and bring harmony back to the, to the house. So th if they have nothing to offer, they will go to their relatives right, quietly and then get support from their families and they come and they put food on the table and make peace. But it's not evident, it's not obvious, but that... That is a clear example of a non-violent dominance. Men still maintain dominance in the house. None of the men justified that it was right to use violence on their wives, but rather um, emphasized that culture demands women to respect men. Okay, um, I've mentioned non-violent dominance there. Um, most men don't know the available services, as I illustrated by that example for the um, for Maris Tops. The popcorn metaphor also speaks to the ways that the laws have amplified the voices, um, agencies, and resistance of women seeking to transform their lives and achieve equality. The laws are like a blanket, okay? A blanket is a metaphor, as I mentioned um, earlier. There, there, are, there are really, really good things about government policy because policies are based on research and needs identified. <clears throat> but the consequences of those policies bring about both good and bad um, effects on, on the pe people who... Uh, intended for the policy to, to, to benefit. So Papua New Guinea is, is struggling to, to maintain the good things, but continue to find ways to um, address the negative implications of the policy at the same time. 
And so one of the indicators of that is that government continuously change policies. Every time we have new minister appointed, we have policies changed. If we can stick with a policy that really works, then I, I, I don't think we will see changes a lot in, in our policies. And so, way forward, we hope that um, from this study, we can um, actually work on developing a policy for families in PNG. And this time, we don't want this policy to be changed <laughs> all the time. Um, there has to be more stakeholder collaboration on this kind of um, uh, studies and work. Um, and uh, because the study is done only in, in one case of a metropolitan uh, center, if this can be done in other centers as well, Awareness and consciousness raising. Awareness which, which we can really see chances of succeeding in what we are doing. All right? Instead of trying to empower women and putting women in front, let's change men. Let's get the men to start changing and acknowledging that men and women can complement each other in, in their roles at homes. And um, finally, build on existing Melanesian family support system. And with that, I'd like to conclude by saying, towns and cities is not what Papua New Guinea as a traditional um, space to understand and embrace. It, it's Papua New Guinea now at the, at the current stage is has been conditioned culturally and technologically by, by foreign ideas to feel and think that this is the right way to do things. However, we didn't go back to where we came from to put a town and a village and compare. Then we can, we can see which Melanesian values can survive in a contemporary Papua New Guinea context and which cannot, and so we leave that in the village. So with that, I'll stop here. Thank you. Okay, so we've got about um, 10 minutes or so for questions, and you can ask questions to any team member, um, or, or, or ask the question and then I will direct it to one of them. Hi. Thank you. That, that was wonderful. It was really thought-provoking, really interesting, really well um, presented. And it, I, I spent a couple of weeks or so in Lay about a month ago, um, and a lot of so it was really interesting to kind of compare a lot of the things that you said with what I heard and saw myself. I want to ask someone a question about perpetrator programs. Um, because when I was in Lay, we heard about um, a set of programs that was being run with male perpetrators within the police, within the correctional services, within PNGDF, which people reported were having tremendous um, 
effects in terms of changing um, behavior. And that chime was something that I know that Miranda um, has been working on in some research that you were doing in Vanuatu, where you were sort of pleasantly surprised at, at the results of perpetrator programs. I was totally convinced by what people told me about these perpetrator programs. I was amazed by the scene that people talked about the transformative <coughs> effects of them. Then I came back to here and I told people about them and I kind of felt faintly embarrassed because people would look at me and say all the things that you're saying, which is you should be focusing on the victim, you shouldn't be focusing on, on the man. So I think I, I feel like I'm better armed to answer their complaints after listening to this presentation. But can somebody talk about perpetrator programs and whether do they have value in terms of the kind of way forward? Describe. Maybe I can comment yeah. while others are thinking about yeah. the response. We didn't go so much into the perpetrator programs, yeah. um, um, but interestingly, um, we did interview a couple of women whose partners were police or mm -hmm. even magistrates. So their perspective on it was very interesting in the sense that they found it harder to seek um, resolution because their partners were very powerful and connected up. So if, mm. if their partner knew a lawyer or another police. So it's a really important question. And I think mm. yeah. I, I, after this, I absolutely think there is a need to go down that path. And I just didn't hear much about that program mm. while we were there. But whatever happens, that need to be a way of um, making sure that both partners, the, the wives, spouses mm. of mm. the perpetrator are also protected. Yeah. So like if the husband was a magistrate, there was no way she yeah. could do anything. He just yeah. knew everyone. Uh, the couple, I think I had something about uh, Gassy policy and in Gassy policy where you have male advocates yeah. who are promoting and pushing for Gassy within public sector in Papua New Guinea. So Gassy's yeah, gender equality and social, social inclusive policy. Inclusive. Yeah, so it, it's a public service policy for gender, promoting gender equality in the public in the workplace. Okay. And males are taking a dominant role in terms of uh, pushing for this drive. So they're selecting different male champions for driving the move for uh, addressing gender equality issues. Yeah. And also I think Digicel Foundation or something like that, in Papua yeah. I have a bit of that, where you, you uh, have male uh, champions, but not really about perpetrators. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's something new that I've actually had from yeah, so we would actually try to overlook yeah. it as well. Just um, following on from Gordon's question, I've noticed um, that through Family PNG we've had a few requests um, <coughs> for whether there is any perpetrator counselling available mm -hmm. in PNG, and I, so I've sort of spoken to our staff um, up there a lot about it, and I think they recommended a church. There was one church-based um, service um, in Port Moresby, and since then I've heard of something called Warrior Culture, does that does yeah. that mean anything to you? But they were the only two um, services I could find to refer people to, so it does seem to be yeah, a real gap as well. Mm -hmm. well. 
in, in um, Vanuatu, I did a, a preliminary evaluation of a men's behaviour change program <coughs> that was run by World Vision um, that was really based on using Christian theology. And they were doing it not just with perpetrators, but also, for example, with the male guards in the prison. Um, they want to do it with um, chiefs as well. The idea being to give a whole lot of skills as to how to address quite a lot of these common tensions within the home in um, ways that are, are non-violent. So I was talking to people in PNG to see if there would be interest in, in that program. Uh, called the Channels of Hope program, and it comes out of um, out of Africa, actually, and it's been adapted in various different um, contexts, you know, to be, to fit in with local understandings of Christianity and local customer understandings as well. Thanks very much. Um, my name's Robin Holder. I'm from Griffith University, and I've not uh, done any work at all, anything, so I'm ignorant about PNG. Um, uh, but I've done quite a bit on domestic abuse in Australia and uh, in some other countries. I'm really interested in this notion of nonviolent dominance. Um, and it would seem to me that whatever type of activity that one did with men, whether one-to-one -one counselling or group work counselling, one would need to get to that point. What justifies your dominance? Should it continue? And if so, should it continue? How? Um, so I'm interested in that notion of, and those two questions underpinning it, why should male dominance continue? What benefit does it bring to the family unit? And if so, how should that dominance continue? Um, I'd be really interested in to hear a bit more. I've got another question, but I'll, that's I think probably the biggest one. Yeah, I'll start off, and while you're thinking, <laughs> just a quick response overall on on um, the research, and I've been listening to the um, the transcripts, and it's quite quite for me quite. And I commend Josh and Danson for the way they did the, the focus groups because they were very candid reflections, mm -hmm. So, which means that there's some really good insights in terms of this cultural dominance <coughs> and that, yeah. that it's really, really normalised and entrenched in Papua New Guinea society. Mm -hmm. It's not even... And, and also the, you saw some of the reasons for why men are violent. There's not a question of whether I should be violent or not, it's really just an accepted. And I think that really struck me in listening to the focus group meeting. So it's a critical question, and in the Papua New Guinean context, probably more <coughs> so uh, difficult to unpack because the other thing is that we're seeing it like we're trying, we're grappling with writing about the tension between those traditional cultural norms, which in many ways entitle men to have that dominance and, and reinforce it with violence, and the introductions of the law, <coughs> which is uh, this popcorn and blanket effect that we're trying to tease out that mm. Dunstan. So it's, it's really complex. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to answer. Uh, I think there are two perspectives of looking at the non-violent uh, dominance in, in Papua New Guinea. 
the good side of it, if you look at it in another way, is that sometimes in terms of continuing the violence, because in Papua New Guinea, uh, there, there are cases where if the husband doesn't like come and compensate for the non-violent way of sorting out the problem in the house, then the family of the wife will come and retaliate. So it, do, it does it in a way where he comes it, yeah. and then he does it in a non-violent way, so he actually comes the situation. But if you look at it in, a, in another perspective, then it's also bad in a way that it actually creates more dominance again from the male perspective. So it, it's, it's quite a very complicated situation. Just so as I understand what you're saying, to me, yeah. which is really interesting to me, so that if he's not going to be violent, mm -hmm. he will do this other way, yeah. which is bringing in like goes to the relatives and then they, they give support in terms okay. of money or okay. some goods, and then okay. he comes back and act like he does it. Okay, so it's a kind of <clears throat> transaction with her family that he does. He, he goes so and gets the support from his own family. He oh. comes back to sort his nuclear family out. Okay. Because the wife's extended family might retaliate if he doesn't get anything. Yeah. So it's like a good and also a bad situation if you look at it in a... So it's yeah. to try and contain yeah. it contain in the situation. It's quite complicated. Or it will escalate. And those participants are from settlements with low income, non-formal employment. Right. So they have little money at all. Yeah. So, if I might ask you that, so in, in terms of changing cultural norms, if I understand mm -hmm. correctly, that seems to be building on a particular way of maintaining kind of cultural harmony within a family and yeah. broader community. Yeah. Yeah. And not using violence yeah. to do so. Mm -hmm. Is that in my understanding? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Can I just add on a bit more? Um, in Papua New Guinea, it is the kinship that is very important, yeah. and he's going back to his own kinship ties, families to help ease the situation because you don't want the problem to go out and include her relatives, her tribes, and whoever to create the situation and make it go out of hand. Oh. That is what it is. So he has to find ways to settle the issue before it goes out of hand. Okay, and uh, regarding uh, Gordon's comment on perpetrator counseling, generally in PNG at the moment, um, actually, I'll add on to what the boys have presented, yeah. the men are missing out structurally mm -hmm. because policies are not really okay. addressing, well, catering for the men's voices. Mm -hmm. And uh, from our research from the previous one, from the one on the women and this one, we are advocating for a family on the policy so we could cater for the men yeah. as well. Because at the moment, if they go to the police, the law is supporting well, more in favor of the women, so they are arrested. So they're scared. Where yeah. do they get help? So at the moment, really, we have to create um, an alternative inclusive. Well, inclusive approach to include the men. Mm. Uh, on that, when we were in Lay, they, they were talking to men, and I just I went to the family support center mm. at the hospital and had a chat with one of the counselors there and asked if they catered for the men. And she said, 
Oh, they should not say it's the family support center. They should say women and children support center mm. because the men are excluded. Although it mm. is on the front saying family support yeah. center. And the same goes to the center in Port Mosby. The men, well, I'm not an advocate of men, they have to be taken for somehow yeah. to create this understanding. So we focus on the family instead of women. Women this, women that. That's fine. But all these human beings didn't come about because of just a woman. So, I've got a quick question. Uh, I think it was Dunstan who made a quick uh, reference to respect. I wondered if you looked at, sorry, hi, my name is Alma. <laughs> um, I do work in New Island and I'm looking at this concept of respect in the cultural understanding of interactions between men and women and in-laws and online uh, Blue House. Um, what did the men uh, sort of yeah, explain to themselves what respect um, sort of should be like from the women? What did they talk about? I think respect basically comes to the gender expectations and different roles that men expect that women are supposed to perform. Now, you also want to, are they supposed to be quiet or are they supposed to, what's, the, what's respect? Yeah. How do they expect respect to show? More or less. From the voices of the men, basically they link it to different gender roles and expectations like cooking of meals, uh, washing of clothes, looking after kids. Uh, those are the, the key expectations that they, they indicate in terms yeah. of respect, and as well as respecting their family and friends. Yeah, I think the, 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 key, the key point when it comes to respect is like, uh, let's stick to what keeps us safe and happy and harmonious rather than challenging what's, what's, what's already there that we are happy about, the moment we start questioning and talking against each other because you are not doing that and I am not doing this, it disrupts the, what's already been, been there as peaceful and happy. So that's that, that what well, respect means. So that, yeah. That's from, from the interviews that we get it. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's great to hear uh, this. I would ask, you know, that you mentioned awareness as a recommendation at the end, right? But there's been a lot of awareness. Yes. Like the rugby league, right? And they have Absolutely, wins. yes. So did you find any men who kind of were aware of that or been influenced by it? <laughs> like it seems that's just washed all over, washed over them and had no, no influence. Yeah, we had one, uh, one of the participants was an advocate himself uh, when we visited one of the uh, focus group. So he was talking about awareness as well. Yeah, but it comes back also uh, to ignorance sometimes. Uh, some males they tend to more you know, make excuses according to their own culture, and you know in, in Papua New Guinean culture, you know even males coming from matrilineal society they tend to you know, talk more on you know, male as being dominant, but their own cultures are you know, women are dominant. I, I myself come from both from matrilineal and patrilineal, so 
Can I make a last comment, probably in conclusion? In reference to your why dominance and why should it continue? Uh, it's just that the dominance is Papua New Guinea culture and not necessarily in the Pacific region but Papua New Guinea culture. The continuation depends on the fact that the cultural practices and the norms reinforces. And it's not helped by the policies that are being implemented where it questions the dominance, the male dominance. So we really need to find a balance some way to, even with the uh, awareness going on, if the man is not singled out and giving, given that uh, acknowledgement, that personality, personal acknowledgement and given the status, it won't happen big time. And I'm finding this at the university. <clears throat> Uh, where I provide not only academic counseling, but it, the social counseling is coming <clears throat> on board. And it's very difficult, at, even at the, at the university, where uh, you want to try to get that balance uh, and have these people who are educated elites to start seeing things, the two genders, equally and knowing that the two parts make a society, the cultural norms and the practices reinforces the continuity of uh, uh, the, uh, the dominance. And the discipline rules and the policies that are introduced and then implemented by the university doesn't help at all. Where you come to a family support center and the men say, oh, it's not a place for us. Yeah, because the, what is it, everything is focused on looking at, at, the, at the victim and not the perpetrator, forgetting that the perpetrator also needs help, like what you pointed out, you'll be speaking, like standing alone and... <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I found myself in many times when I am like trying to put a balance between a male student and a female student. and. Uh, They'll go, why are you supporting this person? Yeah. And I'm like, no, we all need to leave. So we need to find a balance. So yeah. it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. Because there are our <coughs> laws and the policies that are not helping to lower one part or see the two coming together to say, yeah, equally we can make progress. It's going to take a while. And just something that I'm, I'm thinking about. Uh, even in matrilineal society in Papua New Guinea, where I come from, uh, women uh, are representation of ownership of ownership. men, yeah. but men, they, they do the they talking do and yeah. make decisions. Yeah. So you can see, even in a matrilineal society, men, they still have the dominant power. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge comes back to how do we find a balance in terms of creating a better family policy. And maybe just to make two observations too. One is that, you know, we can see that in the um, non-state way of dealing with these problems, there's lots of, you can really carefully calibrate. Yeah. You know, people can yeah. try something and then try something and then, you know, it 
expand if they need to or, or um, bring it back in if they need to, whereas the state mm -hmm. approach is seen as being just like... Yeah. So that's why we thought that that just, metaphor of the blanket was quite interesting. Yeah. People are just afraid to go near it because it's just going to fall on them. Um, and then also just in terms of your question, um, Stephen, one of the things we're finding from the sorcery research that we're doing is that general awareness, people just dismiss it and they say, yeah. you don't know our sorcerers, you know? Like, yeah. But actually, so what you need to do is what we call inside-out um, yes. advocacy, where you have the insider who is able to say, I'm speaking the voice of the, you know, this particular community yeah. and, you know, and I'm talking about our sorcerers and this is how we're going to deal with this problem and then networking them to those broader people who are, who are sort of, you know, advocating against violence. So I think probably that that inside-out approach will also work in um, yeah. homosexual violence. That's something to further, further research. Um, okay, well, thank you very much, everyone, for coming. Thank you very much to our team. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre at the Australian National University. To find out more about Dev Policy and our work on Australian aid, PNG in the Pacific and global development policy, visit our website devpolicy.anu.edu.au or check out our blog at devpolicy.org where you can subscribe to our daily posts, various newsletters and this podcast. You can also connect with us on social media. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can support us at devpolicy.org forward slash donate. Thanks for listening.